0: we are in the fast lane to spider-man no way home with eight weeks to go today begins our official spider-man rewatch. we also have a ton of white hot news to get through thunderbolts brendan fraser anakin skywalker and well more spider-man uh the direct podcast on the other side time codes are in the description down below let's get busy
1: truth is we need new heroes
0: thanks for the lesson
1: this is the way in my culture, I am a Jedi. I am burdened with glorious purpose. We're all villains here. Not us, United. I'm a superhero!
0: What's going on, y'all? It's The Direct Podcast, episode 57. Once again, in your ears. I'm the content machine, Liam Crowley. He is Vengeance, Matt Remke. Matt, how are we doing on
1: this fine Wednesday afternoon when we're recording Friday when it's in your ears? I'm doing fantastic, Liam. We are doing a lot today for the direct podcast. Present day, Matt and Liam are doing Matt and Liam a solid. Um, we're reviewing Eternals. Yeah, I said it. We're, we're recording that today. So I'm super excited about that. And uh, it's going to drop here in a couple of weeks. But I'm just, I'm just all hyped to talk about Spider-Man, Eternals, all this news. It's, it's awesome. It's, it's a great day to record a podcast. It
0: is a great day to record a podcast. And just a reminder, uh, Matt, you said a couple of weeks. It's creeping up. It's next week. Next week is our Eternals review.
1: That's right. FNA, man. That's nope. crazy. November um, is next week. It's so crazy to me. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to hear what everyone thinks of this movie. Like I, and I can't wait to, for us to talk about it and hear what people think about us talking about it. You know what I mean? It's going to be an awesome experience. What a movie. And it's going to be nuts.
0: I'm stoked for the social conversation. I'm
1: stoked to have these conversations with
0: with fans as well beyond just critics because there is a divide in how people perceive movies depending on what you're going into it for. If you're going in as a fan, as a critic, as someone who's trying to get experience, who's someone who's trying to just eat some popcorn and have a good time, uh, the conversation is going to be fun. So just a reminder, that Eternals review, spoilers and all, don't worry, we'll give you warnings. So if you haven't seen it, when next week's episode drops on Friday, November 5th, we will give you warnings. You can hop around, just listen to the news, go see Eternals, pop back in. But that's when our Eternals review will drop. But I was able to see it last week. I gave you my, my quick reactions. Matt was able to see it this week. And I feel like it's only appropriate that we get Matt's raw, spoiler-free, spoiler-free, spoiler-free spoiler free, reaction. Free free. free, free, free. Absolutely. So Matt, so. what did you think about Chloe Zhao's Eternals?
1: I thought that that was a movie and a half. And I love so many parts of it. I definitely have my issues with it. I don't think it's without f- fall uh, flaw, I think. Um, it's, um, it's a special kind of movie in the way that, like everybody's saying, I'm not saying anything new. It's different than any other movie we've seen in the MCU, but maybe not in the ways that I expected it to be. I think the, the storytelling and what they decided to put value on throughout the movie um, is different than what we've seen in the MCU. The MCU is such a character driven franchise, you know, ever since Downey, you know, showed up in the Humvee, it's been all about amazing characters surrounded by amazing stories. And oh yeah, by the way, they're superheroes and that's great. And it's awesome. And um, that's something super fun and endearing and charming and heartfelt. For everyone eternals took a different approach in my opinion to where I think the story the lore the idea of the movie was more of the focus than the individual characters that were playing the parts um, which was so interesting and new and refreshing yes but also I think that um, it's a, that type of storytelling in the MCU is a little rougher around the edges than maybe the quote formulaic um MCU that we've seen so far. I think they've developed the perfect system to tell those character driven stories. This new kind of story, while I loved a lot a lot of parts of it, I think did have a little bit of stumbling out of the gateness to it. Um, but you know, I can't really talk about that without getting into details. This is a huge movie with an amazing huge cast. The acting is unbelievable. The visuals are unbelievable. And it is more shocking than I ever expected it to be. The twist and turns in this movie blew my mind. Like, and there's like 10 of them, you know what I mean? So um, I, can't, I can't wait to talk more about it, but I definitely think that this is a movie that will be more polarizing than any other phase four movie. Marvel does a great job living in between the casual Marvel fan and the diehard Marvel fan. They do such a good job living in that space. This one leans more toward diehard, than any other movie in phase four. So it's going to be interesting to see how people react.
0: Interesting. Interesting. There's a lot that you said there that I'm just so excited to like latch onto it and delve. Cause we're going to have like a philosophical conversation about this movie. That's what I'm very excited about. I'm like, <laughs> I'm excited to kick back get like a glass of scotch and just be like, ah, oh, yes. Eternals. Yes. um, It's going to be
1: fun. Eternals review. <laughs> wait a all... minute, wait, hold, on, hold on, You're not, not going to steal my drinking during reviews bit and just, and just pass it off. I do drink scotch every time we review these things.
0: <laughs> I know, but that's, that's like your thing for all reviews. For me, it's like, I, it needs to be the occasion. And I feel ah. like Eternals is like, now, now we, we sit, we puff the cigar and we go, well, you know, humanity maybe
1: i just like drinking
0: <laughs> it's a maybe good time Spider-Man. you know what else is a great time matt freaking spider-man we have yeah. so much spider-man to talk on this podcast specifically news reviews all in between but we just want to remind you i said it at the top today begins our official spider-man rewatch we are going through all eight live action spider-man movies leading up to spider-man no way home on december 17th so today later in the show we're reviewing spider-man 2002 the first film with toby Maguire. the next week we'll do spider-man 2 all the way until we get to spider-man far from home the week before spider-man no way home so if you want to watch along with us just a reminder try to watch uh, a spider-man movie every week until no way home and be able to share our thoughts and emotions because matt We haven't really done retroactive reviews before and here we are. And I can't think of a better movie to start with than kind of the movie that started this whole Marvel cinematic universe, at least planted the idea that it was possible.
1: Spider-Man 02. This is the perfect way to do our first retroactive, you know, not just a Spider-Man franchise, all of the Spider-Man franchises, live action Spider-Man. It's great. And also for more updates on this and the entire Spider-Man rewatch you know, initiative that we're putting together, make sure to follow me and Liam on Twitter at Liam T Crowley and then at Matt Rimke, R O E M B as boy K E um, we're going to be, we're going to be talking all things Spider-Man once a week uh, until it's Spider-Man time. So it's really exciting time uh, for comic book fans, but I mean, come on, it's Spider-Man, you know, that's, it, it, it's different and we're hoping to capitalize on that and embrace that.
0: I feel like this is the direct podcast's version of 25 Days of Christmas, but it's eight weeks of Spider-Man. And I'm just like, ah, I love it. Uh, Before we get into the top news this week, we always kick things off with a quick question. And just a reminder, we've been doing a lot of quick questions submitted by you, the listeners, the fans, and a way to get your quick question on the show. All you got to do is drop a five-star iTunes review, and in that little text bubble where you write a little message, Drop your question and we'll answer it on the podcast. I want to give a quick shout out to Allison Grace. She left a wonderful review, really warmed our hearts. But the question she asked specifically was a little spoilery. So we're going to answer it next week. So, Allison, if you're listening, your question gets answered
1: next week. I do believe Allison mentioned that she is running a marathon this week, though, and she plans on listening to this episode during that marathon. So, Allison, you got me? You got me right here? You can do this, man. Left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. You got this. and We got you. Everybody shout out Allison for running this marathon and doing her thing. You go. Remember to stay hydrated.
0: It's very important. I've never run a marathon before, but it's one of my life goals. My my two biggest life goals, random life goals, write a book and run a marathon. I don't know if I'm ever going to do either, but here's hoping. And so Allison, uh, you're our inspiration today. Keep going. Run, Allison. Run. Remember? Run, Barry. Run. Ever watch The Flash Show? No, not one time, but um, I want (laughs) to write a
1: book, too. We should do that.
0: We should. A a direct (laughs) podcast uh, uh, autobiography? Um, uh,
1: uh, uh, Manifesto. (laughs) Uh,
0: I I don't know. Wait, what's the other word? Uh, Memoir.
1: Memoir. No, it's a memoir after we die. I think so. I think somebody has to write our memoirs. No, 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 no. I think you write the memoirs on your deathbed, like Beethoven's eighth. Okay. Well,
0: what if we just do a short story?
1: Sure. <laughs> you know what? We're gonna write an article. I gonna...
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Screw the book. Let's, we'll write. You know an what?
1: Let's compose the tweet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> compose a tweet. Two hundred eighty characters summing up Matt and I's lives together. Uh, we do have a quick question, though. Finally getting around to it. Ant Man theme. Uh, no name attached to this quick question, uh, just Ant-Man theme, but thank you anyways for submitting a quick question. He says, I absolutely love the podcast. I could listen to the two of you talk all day. Well, thank you so, so much. Keep it up. Hopefully my question makes it. Here it is. What is each of your Dream Avengers 5 roster? Well, first off, Ant-Man theme. Thank you for the the kind words. Uh, I myself and Matt both love to talk, so it's glad to know that people love to listen. But Matt, your Dream Avengers 5 roster. Who do you got for
1: me? Hmm. didn't prepare for this. Um, let's do it together. Um, I yeah. think, you know, I think there's some obvious ones, right? So let's let's try to get those Sam Wilson. Oh yeah. Got to have Cap in there. Um, I think based on what we saw in what if and, you know, what's going on, I think Carol Danvers is kind of a lock um, to play that Thor role as the, uh, you know, kind of the the ultra-powerful one of I the group. I was about to say,
0: so, Thor role sounds appropriate.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to go Carol Danvers there. Um, with this Thunderbolts news, I'm not sure I'd like Yelena. Oh, oh, Shang-Chi. Absolutely Shang-Chi. Um, and then uh, to f- round out... Round out the Avengers five roster. I'm gonna go two more that we haven't seen yet. And I'm gonna go with She Hulk, okay, and then I'm gonna go Moon Knight. I think to kind of bring in that gritty underground MCU. I think Moon Knight could be a Avengers roster player. I'm not confident on this list, but those are who I see could piece together in a very really interesting way that brings all the corners of the MCU in together. So Cap, Shang Chi, Captain Marvel um She-Hulk and Moon Knight.
0: It's such an interesting question because we're at such a crossroads in the MCU now and I say that in that the ensembles are growing. Like Avengers Endgame like do we consider the Guardians Avengers?
1: So that that's a really good question, and an interesting question. It's technically yes, but we all know that you know that I think they've worked with the Avengers. Sure. You know, Avengers by association, maybe. Doctor Strange, is he technically an Avenger? Good point. You know, that kind of thing.
0: So that's where I get at a little bit of a, like, are they Avengers? Are they not? Because if we're going to talk about, like, a core team of six, like the OGs from New York, I see, as you mentioned, Sam Wilson, Captain America, Captain Marvel. I see... those are like the two locks, you know, and then those are the there, locks. I agree. Those it are gets the locks. A little, it gets a little wonky. Shang-Chi definitely. I feel mm-hmm. like uh Bruce Banner plays more of like a Nick Fury role, but yep. then that kind of gets a little wonky if this world war Hulk news is to be believed and all that. Oh. Um it, it it's confusing because I also like look at a lot of the younger characters that they've set up, and I think, well, they're more young Avengers, and they'll be their own team, your Kate Bishops, your Wiccans and Speeds uh your Eli Bradley stuff like that. So that's it's a tough question genuinely. Like when I when I hear what's your dream Avengers five roster, it should be a lot easier to answer than it actually is. But I like the names you put out there. I think She-Hulk is a sneaky favorite. I think Hawkeye could be there even though he seems like he's kind of on the out not dying per se but you know actually retiring since he retires just about every other week. I think he actually wants to just sit down and and chill with the Barton family. Um yeah, it it's it's wishy-washy. Does Thor make it out of Love and Thunder? Like is he still an Avenger? Does he still want to be an Avenger? Does he kind of want to live a quieter life? I'm trying to what about I'm, Spidey. Spidey? Yeah, Spider-Man. Like does Spider-Man assume more of a of a bigger role in the Avengers or is he a leader of a young Avengers team? Like you can kind of go either way with a lot of these characters. And as I'm thinking out loud and trying to rationalize in my brain who like my six would be, I go to Captain Marvel, Sam Wilson, Captain America, Shang-Chi. We need, we need a, a, a muscle in there. So I'm going to say Bruce Banner Hulk. I'm going to say that he gets calmed down or, you know, he continues to be as we left him in uh, the Shang-Chi post credit scene. And then rounding out those last two spots, I'm oh. going to go, I'm going to go with doctor strange, even though he's, he's very powerful. I think he, he naturally knows he needs to kind of fit into a team somewhere. And I think an Avengers is a good spot for him. And then that final, final, final spot, I <laughs> will go with, I'll go with uh, whoever assumes the black Panther mantle. Could that be Shuri? Could that be someone else? Still remains to be seen, but I think Wakanda
1: will have a presence within the Avengers roster. I I would agree with that. I think Ant-Man and the Wasp, a couple names that could also make a mention here. Mm -hmm. My long shot, you know, my out-of-nowhere hot take for who could be on the next Avengers roster. What if the movie starts with five characters we know, and the first half of the movie is bringing in a sixth character that we don't know who's but very important? and plays a big role in a lot of new Avengers lines, Wolverine. You know, like like the, the X-Men in the Avengers, that would be Wolverine. If there's going to be a mutant on the team, it's going to be Wolverine. So I, Dark Horse, totally unlikely, but if they go with a new Avengers angle, especially with Sam and a Hulk on the team, I think Wolverine could play a pretty interesting role.
0: And it's a great way to to reinvent the Wolverine character a little bit because he's so... He's Avenger. And in the comics, you know, he's more of a supporting player with his own runs, but in the X-Men movies, they kind of give him like all of a sudden he usurps Cyclops in the leadership Mm -hmm. role and then he gets Mm -hmm. his own trilogy of movies. I think that there's no harm and foul in making Wolverine a tried and true team player in the MCU and to even freshen it up further, make that that team the Avengers rather than the X-Men. And then he can bounce back and forth. He has the crossover potential, but... I really, really like that. I think that could be a ton of fun. Uh, Something that's always fun is getting through all the top news of the week. Let's kick things off with the sizzle reel.
1: Chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear. And when I do, it's usually something unusual. Well, sir, if I kill all the golfers, they're gonna lock me up and throw away the key. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Bill Murray is confirmed to join the MCU in Ant-Man Quantumania. Go Cups.
0: The MCU loves to plant their projects well in advance, and a new rumor suggests that a certain seed could be sprouting soon. According to rumors, a Thunderbolt movie is being developed at Marvel
1: Studios and is eyeing a 2023 production start. Big news there. Also, Doctor Strange is going back into the multiverse of madness. The Sorcerer Supreme himself, Benedict Cumberbatch, revealed that the Doctor Strange sequel is heading back for reshoots before the end of 2021. Buckle up. We got a
0: ton of Spider-Man updates. New images, new quotes, a new trailer date. Kinda. Lots of Peter Parker chatter today. Stay tuned.
1: And switching over to the blue brand, Brendan Fraser. Yes, Brendan Fraser is joining HBO Max's Batgirl movie. The veteran actor is rumored to be playing Firefly, a flight-based flamethrowing Batman batty. George of the Jungle is back. Diving into the depths
0: of the DCEU, Aquaman director James Wan revealed that the Axed Trench spin off movie was actually going to be a Black Manta film. While we won't be getting a full spotlight on the Arthur Curry antagonist in a solo film, Manta will have a
1: large role in 2022's Aquaman sequel. And finally, in a news from a galaxy far, far away, he's back again. Yes. Hayden Christensen is set to reprise his role as Anakin Skywalker in Rosario Dawson's Ahsoka spinoff series. Fans of Clone Wars rejoice, and you're getting Anakin and Ahsoka in live action. And for
0: more information on everything you need to know about all the universes you love, check out TheDirect.com. Once again, for the people in the back, that is TheDirect.com. Um, Matt, what a packed news schedule we have this week when we entered phase two without having a traditional weekly review. I remember we both kind of talked about behind the scenes, how are we going to fill the time? What are we going to do? We have to do a lot of segments and then all of a sudden Marvel comes out and just says news, news, more news. Let's start <laughs> things off with Thunderbolts, a story that broke today, time of recording, reportedly getting a solo movie or an ensemble movie rather sometime production start in 2023 first off before we get into the depths of how we feel about uh, roster members how we feel about a movie rather than a series do you do you buy into this news do you think it's actually happening or do you think that this is more of a a quiet
1: rumbling for now definitely buying in definitely think it's happening i think this is going to be one of if not the first huge product that brings disney plus um, characters and disney plus themes and stories into a mainstream movie purely based on Disney Plus stuff. You know, uh, um, I I can't think of a movie that they have in production that is based off of anything that was introduced in Disney Plus so far. I think Thunderbolts is that, and I'm excited about it. I love it. I'm a big fan, and
0: I very much think that this will happen, but I'm not 100% certain on whether or not it's going to be a movie or a series. At the same time, if you're going to do an ensemble piece like this, it makes a lot of sense for it to be a movie because you're getting such big names together. And a lot of people would rather just do uh, a movie rather than a series. I think a series to the viewer might be a little kinder, would allow these characters to get fleshed out more. But at the same time, uh, I'm happy to see a Thunderbolts project off the ground, regardless. The Thunderbolts, Matt, when we started this podcast, I didn't know anything about. And then all of a sudden the weeks go on Uh, the buzzwords keep popping up in Twitter conversations. And you know, we do our research, we chat about it. You educated me a lot on what this team is. And I found myself becoming like a very big Thunderbolts fan and really wanting a project like this to come to fruition and not just have them be a foil for a, a Sam Wilson Captain America or an Avengers down the line. I would love to see them get their own spotlight. And when I think about all the all the potential roster members you could bring in, when I think about Julia Louise Dreyfus as Val scheming behind the scenes it's it's something i want to see realized in an individual project over them just being supporting cast in someone else's franchise so i'm very much a fan of a thunderbolts project getting off the ground whether that be a series or movie i really don't think you can go wrong i would personally prefer a series but at the end of the day I'm never going to say no to more ensemble movies in the MCU, and I think that kind of transitions nicely into what I want to talk about now regarding the Thunderbolts, our dream rosters. We just kind of went through our dream uh, Avengers 5 rosters, and I know, I believe, did we do a feature on this uh, Thunderbolts roster,
1: Chris Killian? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think we definitely put something together early on in the stage, but you know, we, we know so much more now. Oh, yeah. especially with Val being in play and the characters that we can kind of lock in a little bit, um, um, you know, big or small roles. I think that there's a lot going on. And um, yeah, I think that the Thunderbolts roster is definitely going to be one of the more exciting, especially based on how great the rookie class of phase four has been. Um, I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential in that rookie class alone add in a few vets, add in a few cameo type, uh, players. And I think we got a really good roster opportunity here. I mean, do we go through it right now? Yeah. I say, why not? So I think based on comics and based on where we've left these people, I think Zemo's a lock uh-huh. um, to be a pretty major player. Um, I, I want to say anybody Val talks to, so, you know, that's John Walker. I think he's also a lock. I think Elena Belova could be a, huge player in this. And, you know, I think she definitely has the most star potential in a Thunderbolts movie, Um, that being Florence Pugh and, you know, the MCU's new Black Widow, you know, I think she could have a big breakout um, in another, you know, kind of ensemble movie, you know, she was the co-lead of Black Widow. People forget that. It wasn't just the Scarlett Johansson movie. It was a co-lead with Florence Pugh. And um, I think her being in Thunderbolts could bring it one step higher Abomination. I think he was in chong to be in Thunderbolts. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I think that was a really good move. And then, you know, Thunderbolt Ross, man, you know, there, you got to bring the namesake in. I think he, um, I, I. is he a part of the team? Is he the bad guy? You know, is Red Hawk, who the thunderbolts have to go take down and that's why they're called thunderbolts I don't know um but um the, the potential across the board in phase 4 alone let alone anybody we can pick for, pick apart from the past um I think there's tons of people we can bring in to make a really fun suicide squad in the MCU
0: I love that uh two names all float in there Justin Hammer would love to see love Justin it. Hammer uh not necessarily as a fighter as you know the the bank the the supplier the one who's organizing the tech while Val's kind of organizing the ranks. And then a, a bit of a surprising name here, Moon Knight, potentially. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say Moon Knight is because I believe Julia Louise Dreyfus has been spotted on the Moon Knight set. So I don't know if she's necessarily recruiting Mark Spectre or if she's going after a supporting character there. Um, take that with a grain of salt because I... Do not specifically remember if it was the Moon Knight set. And even if it was, I don't know if it was proven to be true. But as we very heavily stressed in Phase 4, keep an eye out for Scrolls 1, but keep an eye out for JLD 2 because where both of those characters go, storylines are being planted and and they will sprout eventually. And it looks like 2023 could be uh, when we get that uh, big storyline with the Thunderbolts.
1: I put in one more name that I think you'd be pretty excited about. Ooh, yes. Oh no. from Sean Yeah, Smith. oh, you know what I mean, pretty much a badass has some uh dragon scale you know equipped ability to her, so she could she could play with the big boys if need be, I think, and the big boys being those um you know abominations and things like that, you know John Walker um and you know. She's not the best person running an underground fight club now in charge of the 10 rings, a very negative thing. Um, I think she's going to play more of an anti-hero role moving forward than anybody might think. And she could be a pretty awesome, you know, contributor.
0: Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. I really no, like you love that. your Xialing man. I do love my Xialing and specifically too, there's the natural connection between her and abomination. You know, she's had conversations with him somehow, if she's getting him yep. into her fighting ring and on top of that, maybe not even a team member. Maybe we get Thunderbolts versus 10 rings. Maybe that's kind of cameo. how we go.
1: Big cameo from Xiling. They need to stop by the Ten, Quarters headqu- 10 rings headquarters during the mission, video game style, right? You know, that she's like the mid, the mid boss, but, you know, the good mid boss, like a Pokemon gym leader that you beat and then they're like, you know what? Here's some advice that's going to help you along the way and that kind of thing, you know? I think that'd be pretty cool. I love that. I love that. Thunderbolts chatter. It's going to be hot for the next uh,
0: couple of years. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. Another thing that's going to be hot for the next eight weeks, as we've mentioned off the top, Spider-Man. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're going to go all retroactive later in the show, as I've mentioned when we review Spider-Man 2002. But for now, we have so much news regarding No Way Home to get through. Didn't even have enough to, to mention it off the top in the sizzle. So I'm going to go through a couple bullet points off the top. To get them out of the way and then we'll get into the deep dive stuff for one everyone is asking about trailer two when are we getting trailer two remember back in the day when people just wanted trailer one nah that's old yeah. people just want more spider-man footage now people are saying this is according to cinema blend sean o'connell matt actually wrote the article for this over on the direct.com a second spider-man no way home trailer is now expected to arrive after a new morbius trailer So be on the lookout for more Jared Leto Morbius footage. Once that drops, that's kind of the final hurdle we got to get through before we get another Spider-Man No Way Home trailer. There were rumblings about it coming soon because of some private videos on some international Sony Pictures YouTube channels. Man, I love the passion people have for seeking out Spider-Man No Way Home news. But like, I promise you, we're getting this movie in eight weeks, like (laughs) whether we get a new trailer or not. So Uh, I I love, I love the passion. I love the fandom, but it's just always funny to me that people, the the way people obsess over digging out stuff. Um, But I, I love it. Uh, Now we'll, we'll transition into the new empire images, specifically one drop today, time of recording, nothing too crazy, Matt. It's just another screenshot from a scene we know is going to happen based off the trailer, but it's our boy, Alfred Molina's doc, Ock, clawing at Spider-Man dangling him up in his tentacle arms And people are speculating that this is where the iron spider suit gets destroyed. People are speculating that this is a a very culminating scene. Uh, People are speculating that there could be more characters out of frame that we haven't seen just yet, obviously, as evident by the trailer footage with the pumpkin bomb. Who knows what comes next? Those two bullet points off the top. I want to get your thoughts. Spider-Man No Way Home trailer 2, how we feeling? And these Empire images, Doc Ock and Spidey,
1: thoughts? Um. Trailer 2, the official trailer, um, I, I haven't done the math, but I assume this has to be a record for um, the, the shortest amount of time between the official trailer and the release date. Um, I, I did a big deep dive into how how long we had to wait for the teaser trailer for No Way Home compared to when it releases. There's only been one movie in the MCU that has released its teaser trailer later then Spider-Man No Way Home, and that was The Incredible Hulk. And if you remember, that's because Iron Man came out two months before The Incredible Hulk. So they, they wanted Iron Man to have all that run and then bring in Hulk um, for the promotion. So the teaser trailer historically took forever to get here. I have to assume this official trailer is going to take the same path. Like you said, we're less than eight weeks away at this point. And I think that there's so there's so much to be learned between now and then We always complain about, you know, are we learning too much? Are they giving away too much? You know, I don't want to know everything going on. If this is a three-hour movie, I'm not sure it matters. I think Shang-Chi did a lot to prove that they can show a lot during promotion and still leave the best for last um, with the movie. Um, So I don't know when the official trailer is coming with this Morbius news. I think it would make sense from a strategic standpoint with Sony. If you release a Morbius trailer with any, and I mean any inkling of a Spider-Man Easter egg, anything that has to do with Peter Parker. I mean, it was spray paint on a wall last time, right? And it was Michael Keaton, right? Anything related to Peter Parker in that Morbius trailer will generate Spider-Man level buzz for the Morbius movie, which has been the forgotten child in the Sony universe. You know what I mean? You know, when we got our first look at uh, Morbius, you know, the last time we got new footage, Uh, I know the movie was supposed to come out in July of 2020. January, 2020 was when the last Morbius trailer was released. 22 months ago was the last time we saw something from Morbius. This next trailer, I think is going to have just that one thing that might, maybe possibly tiniest chance ties it into no way home. And that's going to give it a week's worth of buzz then they're going to drop the no way home trailer after Morbius eats and gets back into the lexicon. Um, I think that's a good Sony. Why wouldn't they do that? You know what I mean? You got all these products. They're all Spider-Man related. And after Venom, you open Pandora's box. You can't close that motherfucker. Mm -hmm. So I think that Morbius coming first would be a good sign. Like you said, though, Liam, once the Morbius trailer drops, the clock starts. I think it's time. And then that, I don't know what I want out of the second Spider-Man trailer, but I, 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 I just can't wait for this spider movie, man. It's going to be so awesome. <laughs> it's
0: going to be hot. Those, uh, those Doc Ock thoughts though. Uh, I'm curious. Oh yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I, know, yeah I know. I know you picture. and you and Spider-Man 2 have a bit of a contentious relationship, but, but I do know you're a big fan of Molina. So how are we
1: feeling about Doc Ock essentially unleashed in this movie? Absolutely, I do not hate Spider-Man 2. I love Spider-Man 2. It's probably one of my favorite movies. I do not think it's a masterpiece. So there's the contention I have. I don't think it's better than Dark Knight. Sorry, <laughs> um, I um, that that image gave me chills when I first saw it because I thought it was fake. You know what I mean? Like I mm. I didn't think it was real when um, I, I I posted something. Um, no, I posted my teaser for my Spider-Man project coming up, and somebody posted the Empire picture right under that, and that was like late last night. So I was like, what the hell is this? Is this a Photoshop? If so, who is this person, and how can I steal their job? Because they're, <laughs> they're, they're amazing at this, right? And then I found out it was an Empire article. I'm like, oh, this is a legit thing. Um, it, it's just so great seeing the tentacles back. You know what I mean? I think Alfred Molina is going to do a great job. Variant. Or a Raimi-verse? thats kind of the big question. Me in front of the show, Brandon Davis, were are talking about that last night. That's the biggest question going into this movie: Are these characters Raimi-verse or are they variants? And or you know they're variants no matter what, right? But are they variants from the Raimi-verse? You know, is this is this a third-party situation? Um, is this where the Iron Spider suit goes by the wayside? I think this would be an awesome opportunity to make it happen. This this suit is what three movies old now. Yeah, yeah, Infinity War yeah.
0: endgame Far from me. yeah,
1: yeah, one it's of the dopest.
0: It was it was hey. at the end of Homecoming.
1: Well, there you go. One of the dopest Spider Man moments of all time. It smells like a new car in here. I mean, come on, you can't beat that, right? People have gotten soured on it since then because it seems OP. He was fighting aliens, guys. What do you, <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> like, like, let's give the kid, let's give the kid a sword if we're gonna put him in a war, right? Um, I think it would be a great moment. A great, a great tone setter for Doc Ock and for whatever Sinister Six is building, if the Iron Spider suit, the last remaining semblance of Tony Stark, falls by the wayside due to Doc Ock. I think that sets the tone and sets the stakes in a really interesting and unique way. Also, give me more suits, man. I want all the suits. I love the Spider-Man video game. Let's do it.
0: Yeah, suits are fun. Suits are fun. I, I will say, though, I understand the issues with the Iron Spider suit from fans because, sure, he was he was fighting aliens. He was fighting gods from space, right? But when he brings that back to the friendly neighborhood conflict, it's a little like, you know, all right, that was that was your power up. It, it's gotta expire eventually. I do want to go never back did, to the
1: though. Plot. You know? He never did though.
0: Well, I mean, it was a deleted scene, but remember when he's fighting the bad guys in Far From what Home? A, what a great deleted scene though. <laughs> it's a great deleted <laughs> what scene. What a I great mean, I, deleted scene. I think it's technically canon because it was on like the home video release. And it doesn't it was. Change, I have it. It doesn't change the story. So no. It's there's no harm in calling it canon, but like, I understand like I you get know, it. The, I get that those those criminals trying to rob a bank, they're like, bro, we can't even compete. Like this
1: dude's got Iron Man tech. Like what? It's fine. It's Spider Man. He's the most powerful superhero of all time. He's gonna be fine. It's fair. It's fair. But I I think <laughs> if there
0: is a where to, if there is a way to send that suit out, I think that's a perfect uh perfect way because at the end of the day, just the the poetic justice of it being. You know, it's it's spider legs, but it's like tentacles, kind of. It's yes. the same idea. Ah, I love it. I love it. It's I want it artistic. at this point. I want it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's something we, we've spoken into existence. And now the more I think about it, the more I'm like, this needs to happen. There are more things with this Empire <laughs> magazine specifically, though, more quotes that we did get. And there's one man, that Tom Holland, you know, he's getting better at keeping spoilers in. But he's he loves to tease fans. He loves to leave little breadcrumbs. Uh, until we eventually get to the release date he is speaking about this special scene he he had with a mystery character uh the quote exactly goes as follows it's four people sitting at a table having a conversation about what it's like to be a superhero and it was amazing and then he goes on to say the other day we watched the scene back my brother and i who is also in the film I, actually harry holland he's playing a, a bank robber who is responsible for creating the black and gold suit, which is actually just the red and black suit turned inside out. Do you hear about this? No, I thought uh, he was a crackhead. He He's he's stealing something. I, he It might be a, a, a drug bust or something. And he throws like green paint on Spider-Man. And then because the, the paint stains, he has to turn the suit inside out. And that's where we get the black and gold, because it's just the regular Spider-Man suit
1: turned inside out. Fucking love it. Um, does Harry Holland get a pop at theaters? You think? I hope so. He's not, not like if very you follow on on social media, you know who Harry Holland is. Yeah,
0: he's not like, but he's not like a movie star recognizable exactly. face, but it could be fun. Anyways, the second half of that quote though is the other day we watched the scene back, my brother and I, and our jaws were on the floor. So, first off, uh, we'll focus this this chatter on the first half of that quote because that is the meat of it. I am salivating at this scene not because of who the mystery character is, but because of what the content of the scene is. Four people talking about what it's like to be a superhero. Matt, we've talked about it briefly on the podcast every week or so, every other week or so, but the thing I love the most about the MCU are the human scenes. My favorite scene from Civil War is Cap and Tony having that argument, you know, sign the damn paper, she's a kid, give me a break, she's a She's a, uh, not a U.S. citizen and they don't grant visas to weapons of mass destruction. My favorite Sometimes scene- Sometimes
1: i want to punch me. you in your perfect teeth.
0: Uh, uh, I get chills just thinking about that stuff. Uh, uh, Bucky Barnes in the bank vault uh, when he's getting his mind wiped, but I knew him. You know, we, we go to Spider-Man Homecoming, the conversation in the car, the dad talk that come on Spider-Man. These conversations are what get me so energized and passionate about these projects. And this sounds like the scene that I'm going to YouTube- for months and years after this movie comes out and by the time we've we've watched it so many times that it's just become a memory and it's crazy to even think because we're so speculating on what this memory could be that there will come a day where it is in the back of our minds we've seen it once twice three ten times this scene sounds like everything I've wanted and more from this movie that I didn't even realize I wanted from this movie because of all the rumors and speculation of Who's involved? Where are they going? Multiverse, Toby, Andrew, yada, yada. This sounds like a nice intimate reminder of what the MCU is as it is at its core. And I think a lot of people are going to eat this up. What are your thoughts on this quote? And who do you think these mystery characters are?
1: As far as who the characters are, I really don't know. I, I, I can't put it together. I mean, the dream scenarios, is the, the Peter Parker roundtable, table, right? It's Doctor Strange. It's Tom. It's Toby. It's Andrew. You know, or 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 even Matt Murdock, or or hell, Marissa Tomei. I think you know Aunt May is always the guiding voice in the Spider-Man comics, right? You know, give Marissa Tomei that role here as the mediator of Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Like, um, but um, that's the dream. It could be anybody else. It could just be um Peter, Ned, MJ, and uh, Aunt May. You know, it could be a family thing. You know, John Favreau could be involved. Doesn't matter. I don't think because remember Black Widow. Yeah, you know it's it's a movie that had really great highs. The lows were, you know, where they were. It doesn't rank super high on my list. The family table scene, where yolana you know, tells everybody, like, you know, like you guys need to stop talking about this. You're ruining my life. Like not say that. Stop it, dude. It was I real mean, to me. <laughs> You sound like so much like a guy that it's like like the Russian accent I think was really good. The Yolanda Belova accent I think sucked. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like be a girl next time. <laughs> like, I don't know how. I don't know. You sounded so good as a Russian dude though. <laughs> like, <laughs> That was really good. That. It was
0: real to me. I it was dude. That that guy.
1: scene rips me apart, man. And it's Florence Pugh. It's her amazing emotion. Who is a better talk crier in the MCU than Tom Holland? There isn't one. <sighs> He's as good as it gets. No one talks and cries better than Tom Holland. This scene I think is gonna bring an emotional impact to this movie that stops us for a second. I think this movie's gonna be all over the place in a good way. I hope. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this is going to be a moment where we all kind of take a breath. You know, we just saw Matt Burdock. We just saw Dr. Strange. Holy shit. Doc Ock's here and Jamie Foxx showed up. This is going to be a scene for us to take a breath. And remember, this is a Peter Parker story. Tom Holland, I think we'll get into this in the Spider-Man 2002 review, but I think Tom Holland does the best job at being peter parker while he's in the suit i understand that peter and spider-man are two different people i believe that's tom holland in there and when the mask comes off and he's still wearing the rest of the suit those are when a lot of the greatest moments come for him and i can't wait to see that happen here
0: yeah i'm a big fan and this is going to be a scene that i walk into the theater anticipating probably more than a lot of elements from whatever we get in the second trailer just because at the end of the day i love those intimate character driven dialogue driven scenes. Uh, One final thing we'll wrap up with Spider-Man talk. The Amazing Spider-Man 3. What what Ah. could have been the the (laughs) film that never was. There's been reports that are coming out now. Um, I believe some of it comes from just Empire stuff, not necessarily Empire Magazine, but press surrounding Spider-Man No Way Home. A lot of it comes from that new Marvel Studios book, The History of Marvel Studios, that gives a lot of specific details on Development of certain projects. There was a very neat story in there about how Marvel flirted with the idea of introducing the Guardians of the Galaxy in one shots that would play before films leading up to Guardians uh, in 2014. Like a lot of interesting tidbits, information that's been kept quiet for almost a decade um, that's coming out of this book. So if you haven't read the book yet, uh, try to get your hands on it because it is pretty neat. But this quote uh, comes from that specific book talking about how Marvel held a secret meeting to try and block the amazing Spider-Man three from happening. Obviously we know the amazing Spider-Man two didn't make as much money as Sony wanted it to, but people have misconstrued that story that it bombed at the box office. It very much did not. It it made a lot of money, like a lot of money.
1: It made Spider-Man money.
0: (laughs) Yes. And the thing is they were looking for Avengers money because that movie came out in 2014, two years after Avengers People started to realize, oh, well, if, you know, a bunch of guys that were being leased from different studios coming together in a Paramount picture, because Avengers was released under Paramount, not under Disney, that can make a billion. Why can't, why can't Spider-Man make a billion? And uh, TASM 2 fell a little short. Anyways, this quote from the book about how Marvel held this secret meeting to try and stop TASM 3 from happening goes as follows. With no time to spare, Foggy announced a quote, all hands on deck situation. Every executive producer at Marvel Studios had to be a part of a secret, two day long off site retreat held in a rented hotel space in Santa Monica. No one else at Marvel Studios was told about what they were doing, just that it was a quote, get together. It adds that in that closed room, two questions were posed. If there were an opportunity to broker some kind of deal with Sony, how would it work? And if they leveraged something like a five picture deal, What stories would they want to tell? Amy Pascal, the woman who runs Sony Pictures, responded to this at the time, and she noted that at first she was pretty resentful, and she thinks she started crying and threw Kevin Feige out of her office, but quickly came around to see the merit of Feige's ideas. Man, those boys at Marvel are coy. Man, they're schemers, but it all worked out for the better. But Matt, I read this story with just a smile on my face because it's just hilarious to me. It's hilarious. The, the efforts they went through because we were always under the impression that Sony fell a little short at the box office. They were trying to reevaluate the Spider-Man IP and they approached Marvel. And then a happy marriage was formed. Tom Holland uh, came out of it and we got billion dollar Spider-Man movies and really, really great scenes between Spidey and Tony Stark and all other Marvel characters in Infinity War and Endgame. Now we know that as much as it was Sony approaching Marvel, Marvel was very much approaching Sony. And my head is just all over the place spinning. Matt, what are your thoughts on these quotes?
1: Mission to go off? Yeah. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is the biggest disappointment in the history of comic book movies. And it's not because... Of the box office. Fuck a box office. Fuck how much you love that movie. I love that movie too. I, I, I like it a lot. It had so much potential. To be not just good. Great. Like like all kinds of great. You had Toby. Uh, no I'm sorry. You had Andrew Garfield. Who was crushing it. You had the Gwen Stacy death scene. Which killed. And you had all these incredible elements. For an elaborate emotional, charismatic, keyword, charismatic franchise with the Peter Parker Spider-Man character. But you decided you saw Avengers, Sony. I'm talking to you. Sony saw Avengers. They saw Captain America, Winter Soldier, which came out five to six months beforehand, which I think plays a big role here. One month. You're shitting me. April 2014, May 2014. So they didn't even have Winter Soldier to really like balance off of, right? They saw Avengers and thought, we need to do this right now. We need everything Avengers was right now. I don't care about TASM 3. I don't care about TASM 4. We need a movie that is going to set up so many spinoffs and is going to set up so many different other movie franchises off of this one franchise that it's, it's going to create a universe in one day. They wanted TASM 2 in one day to build what the MCU had built by the time Avengers came around and the movie suffered for it. Your fault. Now, Kevin Feige putting together this retreat, that's (laughs) some mob shit. That's that's, Uh, that's some Sinatra shit that I can get behind because he was right. You guys overshot everything with TASM 2. We need to do everything we can to save the Spider-Man IP and not make another Spider Man 3. I know you love that movie, Liam. It was a bust as far as just executing the vision, right? You know what I mean? It, it, had, it had, I mean, it had the dancing Spider Man scene. It should never have been in there, but it was. And it had all these different faults and different, you know, go for graces to it. Um, and they wanted to avoid that. So Foggy came to them and said, let us take it, let us do this. And you know what it led to? It led to Homecoming. It led to come on Spider-Man. It led to that scene in Infinity War where, congratulations, kid, you're an Avenger. And then he smiles for a second, but then he gets serious because he realizes he's an Avenger now. I mean, come on. You can't get that anywhere else. That's where, that's where, that's where Spider-Man, and MCU Spider-Man thrives the most as a kid, being the kid, Peter Parker. TASM 2, I say it all the time, it's so good that you're mad it's not great. It not being great is its biggest problem. And I think it's because Stony got scared and wanted to make the MCU. Foggy realized that, capitalized on that. And I appreciate him for doing that. Now we get No Way Home. <laughs> and, and, and I have no idea what to expect, but I just, I want to see Andrew Garfield again. That's all I care
0: about, really. <laughs> There's one of my favorite wrestlers going today. Uh, this guy named Hangman Page. And his gimmick is like, he's like a cowboy. And way years ago, he said, like, when I get in that ring, I'm going to do some cowboy shit. And like, that's just been his moniker. The crowd chants, cowboy shit, cowboy shit. I just when you said Kevin Feige, man, that's a mob shit. <laughs> like it's mob shit. It's immediately what I thought of like Kevin Feige, mob boss, Kevin Feige, like I'm, I'm gonna make him an offer. They can't refuse. Like, <laughs> just like yeah. I'm going to
1: trumpets playing in the background
0: and it's a whole thing. <laughs> He's just like, you know, he like, he looks at, he watches Tasm too. And he goes to Amy Pascal, look how they massacred my boy. She's like, that's not your boy. That's our boy. And he's like, well, he's going to be mine soon because he's coming over. He's coming home with me and I'm not taking no for an answer. Ah, I love it. I, I, this, this saga, we need a documentary on this. I would love to hear a tell all documentary. You don't even have to go crazy with footage. You ever see on HBO, they do like the barbershop, the shop, where like a bunch of athletes just have the round table discussions. Give Natural me all the studio- thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Give me all the studio executives just talking, talking, shop, talking how how stuff went down behind the curtain. That could be really fun. Uh, we'll wrap things up with the sizzle reel with some Anakin Skywalker talk, man. It's crazy because this news <laughs> broke over the weekend, right? And we just went all in depth on Spider-Man. We say every week we're, we're gonna give love to Star Wars, we're going to give love to Star Wars because the news will come eventually. And the news came this past weekend. Uh, Hayden Christensen back for the Ahsoka series, which obviously didn't get the pop that it did last year when he was confirmed to be back for the Obi Wan series because that was the official "We've broken ground." You know, he's back for the first time in 16 years. He hasn't played this character since 2005 in Revenge of the Sith. Now it's the it's the very exciting layer of he now gets to star opposite a character that's only shared scenes with him in animation. We've seen Anakin and Obi Wan together. For well, as Ewan McGregor and as Hayden Christensen for two movies with Attack of the Clones it. and Revenge of the Sith, we have never seen Anakin Skywalker and Ahsoka Tano star opposite each other in live action. It feels wrong to be as excited about this as I am because, as Matt and I have said on this podcast infamously, we are not. V- I don't want to say we're not fans of the Clone Wars because that implies that we don't like it. We're not viewers of the Clone you Wars. watch it. We haven't seen it every single time news like this breaks we say it we're getting close yeah, like When wow. Katan showed up in <laughs> mandalorian we said we were gonna watch the clone wars and i started it too i watched like yeah. half a season one it's a tough yeah, season too. one and jack pews has even said just you gotta power through the good stuff is coming news like this gives me the adrenaline i need to power through matt how are we feeling? Anakin Skywalker back in Ahsoka. Stock is up. How are the vibes?
1: What did Hayden Christensen say when somebody asked him to go watch Dune? I don't like sand. Of <laughs> yeah, it's course. It's irritating to the skin. Um, I, um, I'm really excited about this. I'm more excited about this than I was when it was confirmed he was an Obi-Wan. I think oh. because... This, I think, confirms that he will strictly be in a flashback scenario. It's not going to be a contemporary Hayden Christensen as Darth Vader doing Darth Vader shit, which I I enjoy because I don't think you need to announce Hayden Christensen's back just to put him in a mask in the Darth Vader voice. I think that's very Zemo masky, and I'm not a fan of that. Um, But this this kind of proves that the flashbacks for both Obi-Wan and Ahsoka are going to be hyper-relevant and hyper-exciting. When Bo Katan showed up, when she said Ahsoka, when she said that word, everybody was just in elation. All the Clone Wars fans were felt validated at that moment because not only was Bo Katan in live action, she said the word Ahsoka, and we are two weeks away from Ahsoka right now. And like that was a moment, and everybody, I, I was excited. I'd never seen an episode of the stuff. Um, I think that this, you know, I think they're doubling down on that. They are paying tribute to the Clone Wars fans, like not on, not only. Are we making projects around your your characters? We're going to show flashbacks of your characters together. We're going to give you in canon Clone Wars content, live action, you know, because one it deepens the story for the people who don't know, and two, it it, it is a, an applause to the people who went through eight seasons of animation of Star Wars content, not to mention Rebels, not to mention Bad Batch, um, you know that that have really. Just evolved the entire Star Wars franchise on a completely different medium in a way no other franchise has done. What If was awesome and fun and creative. It wasn't Clone Wars though, and I don't think it'll ever be. And um, I think this really just gives the Star Wars franchise so much more credibility than it's ever had before. Star Wars Disney Plus, but, oh I'm sorry, Star Wars Disney Plus man. I'm it's it's the beast, the force, it's a presence, and I'm here for it. Yeah, it is a force, literally didn't even know i did it but i did it wow
0: that was fun talking star wars there matt little little anakin skywalker there but you want to just get back to spider-man yeah i need more spider-man in my life please more spider-man on the other side the first retroactive review on the direct podcast spider-man 2002.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, Spider-Man: No Way Home releases in theaters on December seventeenth. It is bound to be one of the greatest movie events in the history of Hollywood. It has been called the endgame of Spider-Man movies, and as as wild as that might sound, it took twenty-two movies to get to endgame. This franchise, live-action Spider-Man, this IP, has been historic for Hollywood. It's been historic for the box office and it it has been partnered with so many buckets of popcorn that I can't even fathom. ever since 2002 live action. Spider-Man has been a pinnacle of comic book movies. It is up there with the Batmans and the Supermans and everything you can imagine. The, if not one of, if not the most amazing superheroes to ever grace the pop culture world. And we are going to go back and watch rewatch and review every single live action Spider-Man entry that Sony has put out ever since 2002, leading up to Spider-Man in game, no way home. And today we start at the beginning. I always find that's the best place to start right at the beginning. You know what I mean? You think you know who I am? You might be wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Spider-Man 2002, the first entry in the Sam Raimi trilogy, the first live action Spider-Man movie. And some would say the first contemporary comic book movie ever made you know what i mean this is the this is kind of in some ways not always trust me some ways the beginning of the modern day comic book era the beginning of the golden age of comic book movies i will say that with comic books um with confidence i should say liam spider-man 2002 we're going to do this kind of differently than we've done other reviews being a retroactive we all have takes we all have we all have thoughts we all have opinions um, on these movies. So me and Liam are going to bounce back and forth and give our three big takeaways our three big takes for Spider-Man 2002, discuss them. And then at the end, we're going to go through kind of rapid fire. Some of our best moments, um, in the, in the effort of compliment sandwich, Liam, I'm going to start, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, just, just so people don't turn this thing off. And then, and I should say this up front, guys, we aren't going to sit here and talk about how good these movies are. They are good in a lot of ways. They're also bad. There's a learning process in the Spider-Man movies. Not all of them are perfect. And we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the flaws of a 2002 Spider-Man movie. And, and we're not going to shy away from that because I think a part of the struggle creates the growth that led to Homecoming, that led to Far From Home, that it will eventually lead to No Way Home. Um, so I'm going to start with a positive. Um, it's a broad thing. It's very vague. But this movie, more than anything, is a compilation of iconic and hype as hell moments. You know, we're going to go through a bunch of these different scenes, I'm sure, but the Spidey Sense scene, the suit design, the wrestling debut, the upside down kiss, the final battle, the American flag at the very end of the movie. All of those are iconic staple comic book movie moments. There's so many moments in this movie that makes me feel eight years old again. And I think it is naive to claim that this movie has no flaws. It's naive to feel like, oh, this movie was made yesterday. You can't even tell the difference. I think that's wrong. It was released in 2002. There's a lot of 2002-isms within this entire movie. But if you want to say Spider-Man is your favorite Spider-Man movie, I will not debate you. Because this movie, Spider-Man 2002, is the definition of a classic. It is an absolute classic. It's iconic. And if you're like me, I was born in 1996. I was eight years old when this came out. I saw it in theaters. I grew up on this movie. And every time I rewatch it, there are certain moments that literally make me feel like I'm eight years old again. And I love that. And I appreciate Sam Raimi, Toby Maguire, and the entire cast for giving that to me. So, uh, Liam, you know, your thoughts, my first take. This movie is a compilation of iconic and hype moments. You want me to give like, my thoughts on, on your take? I do, sir. I think
0: you really uh, hit the nail on the head in terms of like everything I'm thinking about this movie from a positive standpoint because you mentioned like it transports you back to your childhood. Like I didn't see this movie in theaters. I was I think like two years old when it did come out, but I watched this movie on VHS tape. Yeah, I I own this movie on VHS tape. That's how old uh, like it it is in my brain that. We didn't have like DVDs weren't, they were a thing, but like prevalently in homes. They were
1: $75, Liam, the DVD. Yeah, that's a good
0: point. VHS <laughs> players, VHS players came built into the TVs. You know, you had the
1: giant cube and then you had the little like thing at the bottom. That was like a hot thing that happened. Like, yeah. like having a TV with a VHS player, like you were the swanky house on the block. at that Yeah. Time.
0: And my one was small too. It was like, it went oh, yeah. on like oh, the God. ground. It was like a computer monitor screen, mm-hmm. but I remember distinctly going down to my basement Saturday mornings, the same way people watch Saturday morning co- cartoons, oh, pop in Spider-Man too, and just, just love it. Eat it up yeah. uh, for all two hours of it. There's so much to love about this movie and the way you define it as a classic, I think is ridiculously appropriate because Classic films can be campy. We can look back at them fondly and say, this worked when it first came out. Yes. It's it's expired a little bit. It, it's not as it's not as fresh as it once was, but in the moment, this is what Hollywood needed back then. There's so so much to love. As you mentioned, the suit design is fantastic. The pacing of this movie for as as, as much as it goes through it's honestly pretty refreshing that it doesn't insult your intelligence in terms of how fast it moves, because compared to other Spider-Man movies, we spend, I believe the least amount of time in high school in this one with Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield graduates in the second one. And Tom Holland as of right now is still in high school in the third one. Tobey Maguire is done um, in the first act of this movie. And for a movie that moves that fast and he goes to the daily bugle And he becomes Spider-Man and he's he's saving everyone and he he gets the girl sort of kind of like the pacing should be ridiculously fast paced, but it never feels like it's moving too quickly for its own good, which I think is a lot to uh, the directorial style of Sam Raimi. And what I appreciate a lot about this movie is that it's bold at the end of the day. It it takes risks. It's a character that, you know, today is ridiculously popular in Hollywood. And I don't think Spider-Man was ever like an unknown like an iron man was before robert johnny jr came along he was very much a proven comic draw like a batman from marvel but you know there are elements that are silly like at the end of the day he's fighting a, a guy in a mechanical goblin suit that throws pumpkin bombs that dis- that disintegrate people into skeletons like that totally. that should be Batman and Robble Batman and Robin level campiness, but it works in this movie and it takes risks and it's not afraid to be what it is. And for that reason, you laid it out so eloquently. If this is anyone's favorite Spider-Man movie, like I'm not, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to tell you why it's not because I understand why it has such a special place in so many people's hearts.
1: But don't tell me it's better than other Spider-Man movies because (laughs) It is not, and it was, it's because of when it was made. Like you said, it's a classic, but classics have faults. Liam, what is your first Spider-Man take? Uh, when we compliment sandwich this, are we, are we both starting with, with compliments? No, I don't think so. I think you just go with what the list you have, man. Have All it right. at it. Go to, go to town. Have it. Go. This movie is
0: dated. Oh, my God. Rewatching this, I, Matt, you said months ago on this podcast because I look back at the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man trilogy with such rose-tinted glasses and you told me months ago you were like you know maybe maybe don't re-watch them if, if, if you if you feel that that much love for them maybe don't re-watch them don't get me wrong they will always have a special place in my heart but I understand why Matt was saying that now <laughs> because there are some elements man there are some there's some acting in this movie that is extremely wooden. There's some editing that I'm like, what are we doing here? There's some there's some montage scenes that I'm just like, my jaw is on the floor from shock that it made it past the the editor's room. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, it's wow. For for as much as I love this movie for its specialness, um, there's so much that I'm just like, you know. Look how far we've come. And I think that's the important takeaway here. When I say this movie is dated and I, I say that a lot with like, not rem- not like vigor, not being like, oh, it's dated and I hate it. Like it's dated to the sense that I'm appreciative that it set us on a path to where we are now. Like we don't get to modern comic book movies without a movie like Spider-Man 2002 starting the momentum. So yeah, this this movie made me very appreciative Of the quality that the MCU pumps out because wow, this movie's dated.
1: Yeah, it's um it it definitely is. And 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 you know, when you go back and watch this movie, you kind of have to put yourself there. This is not just a comic book movie made two thousand two. This is a blockbuster studio production, big, you know, high profile movie made two thousand two. Back then, there were certain things that needed to be done. The guy had to get the girl, the the, the action had to be big and the trailer had to be whatever and we need Nickelback at the and I'm looking for a hero to save I'm not gonna stay Got to hit the Nickelback right. There's there's so much 2002 in this movie and Liam it's interesting you're about to go back to back takes because you stole my second one and and it it's essentially the elements of a modern day comic book movie are sprinkled throughout this movie but the foundation is built in the 90s it really is and. And that comes in, like you said, the acting. I, I'm going to offend people. I don't care really, though. I, I truly feel like the majority of the acting in this movie is average at best. I, I don't think Toby Maguire has a great acting performance here. I don't think Mary Jane has an exceptional acting performance here. Harry, I think, is awful. I really do. I think James Frankel is a bad actor in this movie. But it's not just the acting. The lines they're given, the dialogue is just so... It doesn't make sense. People don't talk to each other like this. People don't treat people like they do in this movie. Harry's a bad friend. Harry is a bad yeah. friend to Peter. Like, he's a shitty person, always, since day one. And and I, I never believe that that happens. MJ, you talk about MJ. Oh, my God. She is just there. She's there not to wear a bra. That's why MJ is into this movie. And it's unfortunate because, you know, uh, I think Christian Dunst has – a charisma tour that could have been really awesome. They didn't give her anything to do. They didn't give her anything to say. And when they did give her something to say, it didn't make any goddamn sense. Peter, it's always been you. No, it hasn't. You're lying. You're (laughs) lying to him. (laughs) You are a lying person. And, and, and the big thing, it really comes to for me. The, the idea of a nerd, Peter Parker's a nerd, Spider-Man's a hero. And they tried to play that balance. And I get that for a fifties comic book like page by page comic book this works for a 60 70 TV show this works the nerd the loser not a nerd a loser overcoming and getting the girl that is a trope that is in the 70s and 80s and it's very prevalent here peter's a stalker <laughs> like, like he's not he's not just a lovable he's a stalker and when mj asked peter oh what did spider- man say about me no, nothing. But here's what I told you about. Here's what I told him about you. And it's a epilogue of love and romance. Like, dude, that's creepy. It's creepy. And, and I get that, you know, the, the loser turning into the hero is a thing. I don't think the loser was very well done here. And I think that comes back down to the writing and comes back down to the 2002 of of this movie. And when you go back to the cuts, when you go back to the montages and stuff, that's Sam Raimi. That's a stylistic thing. And he, he had a vision. He made it. This is this like timeless, this isn't 2002 New York. This is like 1975 New York. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and he really leaned into that a little bit. So yeah, uh, your, your first take is kind of my second take is that the 2002 is really holding this movie back a lot. And I think that comes out in the dialogue. It comes out in the acting uh, more than anything else. So you want me to go back to back here? yeah yeah, you have to. you mine. so mine. that's how, that's how the world works,
0: man. <laughs> and i I think this is actually a seamless transition too, because you mentioned how how bad the acting is, and I agree. i I do not think that Toby Maguire delivers a a good performance here. Um It is extremely wooden and without charisma. It's funny too, because his his voice when he's wearing the mask, he, his his face isn't shown, but he's more energetic than he is when the mask is off. And I get that that's kind of a balance of he's the reserved, shy Peter Parker. But, you know, like that's what I love about giving Tom Holland Ned to bounce off of because you you allow him to be himself beyond just like this shy, reserved, robotic character um, who he is around like the popular crowd. So not having Peter have anyone to bounce off of, which should be James Franco as Harry Osborn, yet he still acts like he's like, we just met even though you're living with him like he's your lifelong friend like why do why he he treats harry almost like he treats mj in the sense that he's afraid to talk to mj and he's like afraid to talk to harry it's odd but my second point i want to get into which is more of a compliment is just green goblin man willem dafoe understood the assignment if every other actor in this movie was like you know, do I give an Oscar performance? Do I dive all into it? Ah, oh, who cares? It's comic book kids. Kids are going to love it. They're not here to see us act. They're, they're here to see the action scenes. Willem Dafoe was like, oh, I get to play a, a psychotic comic book villain that goes around on a glider and throws pumpkin bombs. And I'm the CEO of my own company. And I'm just this genius billionaire mogul who's who could say and do whatever I want. He walks a such a fine line of being campy but also just amazing like he's he is an iconic comic book villain because of the balance he has throughout this movie in my opinion like there are so many elements of you know godspeed spider-man and you know just like him him going around on the glider just being like "We'll meet again no 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 and he like flies away and everything and uh, (laughs) what's up back to formula <laughs> yeah. when he's on when he's in the, the house that's on fire and he's like yeah. hidden as the as the old lady and then hello it's me spider-man like i i laugh and appreciate that i don't laugh at that i laugh with him because there's no way willem defoe entered this role being like i'm gonna I'm only an oscar out of this like no he knew he knew what he was getting into and he ran with it and he had fun with it and i'm a big fan of green goblin and i'm a fan of the goblin suit i know a lot of people i think if this if this comes out In the 2010s, a lot of people go like, what the hell? They see the set photos. This isn't the Green Goblin. And I get that criticism. But for me, it's so rooted in nostalgia that like my introduction to the Spider-Man character was this movie. So when I see Green Goblin, that's Green Goblin to me, not the comic interpretation, the comic uh, establishment, because that's how he was invented. This goblin suit, I love. I love the cackle. I love the portrayal. I love Norman Osborne. He's one of my favorite comic characters. And I love Defoe's portrayal of him.
1: Uh, I agree that Defoe committed more than any other actor in this movie. And he kind of turned it up to 11. And he did his best to work with the campy dialogue. And the, I think it makes it stand out that everybody else has campy dialogue. But it seems more campy because they're not really diving into the campiness of it. And I just say campy as much as I could. <laughs> if you don't think that... You know we, talk, we talked earlier in this episode about how the MCU is really built on characters. and, and the, one of the reasons the MCU is so great is because there's so many unique, charismatic, amazing characters that you are hanging on the edge of every word that they say. Because they're amazing at saying those words. If you don't think that this movie is full of some wooden acting, like Liam said, look at the Green Goblin and look at Jay Jonah Jameson and look at the effort and the commitment they put into their lines to make them sound authentically campy. Unfortunately, I think that results in the Green Goblin seeming like he's in a different movie than everybody else. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I feel like you know he's he's on a different movie than uh, Toby and uh, Christian Dunst and James Franco are. But, um, yeah, I think the Green Goblin, I think his performance and the energy he brings to it is great. Unfortunately, now, he, he kind of suffers a problem that lasts all the way through maybe like the early 2010s in the MCU where the villain's motivations don't really make a lot of sense. You know what I mean? You kill everybody at the board of your company. That doesn't mean you get your company back, Harry. That's I mean, uh, Norman, that's just not how business works. <laughs> um, And... and <laughs> Um and so you know the motivations are as campy as the character, which you know brings the story down a little bit. But um, uh, I can agree that William William Defoe definitely had the most energetic performance in this entire movie.
0: You got, you got that just killed me. Yeah. <laughs> like I, just, I imagine like there, there's a clause in like the Oscar contract, that, like yeah. say you know hypothetically speaking, if the entire board of directors were to like. I don't know, like, like dying, like a tragic accident. Like it goes back to me. Right? Yeah. A very
1: public tragic accident. <laughs> yeah. Very
0: public. And like, it's clear that they were murdered too. Like this guy came in yeah. on a glider and it's tech <laughs> stolen from our company. Right. And I wasn't present for it. Cause
1: I was, I was busy
0: on assignment. Yeah. Right. But it, it's my company again. Right. Yeah. We can yeah. all agree yeah. on that. Okay. No cool.
1: take backs. No ta- no take yeah. Backs. No take. back. <laughs> yeah. The yeah,
0: clause
1: of the Oscar so, contract is no take backs. It's <laughs> funny. Um, I, uh, I want to close my, my last take, my last key takeaway from this movie in kind of a meta kind of way. You know, thinking about the comic book movie world um, coming out of this movie. And here it is. I think Spider-Man, I think that this movie did for comic book movies what Robert Downey Jr. did for comic book movie characters. You know what I'm saying? RDJ introduced a man behind the mask that was exciting and interesting and dynamic as the superhero himself, that charisma and that it factor that RDJ brought to the screen in Iron Man became the bar at which characters were judged by. And it brought us to amazing characters and amazing stories that just so happened to be superheroes. And that's why the MCU is so great. Spider-Man I think has a similar effect on the comic book movie industry because this movie has a charm. It has a style to it. It has, it has a, an energy behind it that lays the groundwork for every comic book movie that comes after it. I'll say it again because I'm passionate about this statement. This is a classic, an imperfect, somewhat messy, dated at times classic that gets incredible bonus points for being the first. I think it gets amazing bonus points for being the first because it does introduce a st- style of comic book movie that you can see what's going on. And more than anything, I cannot wait to dive into Spider-Man 2 next week and really highlight what did they grow on and what did they pull back on. What did they learn from Spider-Man that makes Spider-Man 2 that movie? You know, Spider-Man 2 is a, you know, as much as Spider-Man's a classic, Spider-Man 2 is more of a classic, I would say. I can't wait to really hone in on what aspects of Spider-Man did they really latch onto for Spider-Man two that made it great. And I think that this movie just brings a unapologetic tone that really just sets the stage for the new millennia of comic book movies, despite all it, it's got one foot in the door of contemporary comic book movies. The rest of its body is still in the nineties with those can't be comic book movies, but that one foot really did so, so much for the, industry of uh superhero films
0: i really really dig that comparison because yeah and it, it's, it's interesting too because it's not an even parallel in the sense that rdj for comic book characters people are still arguing he's at the top and he's hard to pass like you know your ryan reynolds your hugh jackman's will be in contention for most iconic portrayals but as of within the mcu we haven't really come across anyone yet who's RDJ level. There are people who are a little tier below him, but no one's really scratching the RDJ inner circle table of one. Spider-Man, it's like it's set up an entire century's worth of comic book movies, but a lot of them have passed it. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, like it, it walked so others could run, but those others have lapped it sense you know what i mean and it's it's fair to it's it's a necessary not not necessary evil because it, it makes it sound like this was like a movie that had to happen by by like it needed to in order for everything else to succeed at the time it's exactly what hollywood needed it's exactly what this genre needed to eventually flourish one day i really like the idea of calling it a classic with many imperfections but like at the end of the day that's what makes it a classic like it it doesn't age well. It's dated, as I said, but it has those qualities to immortalize it. Like, it doesn't have to be perfect in order for it to stand the test of time. Like, it can age poorly, yet still make its way onto rewatch lists and and, uh, impact lists because of its imperfections. And because of its imperfections, that's what makes it up as a classic. Like, a classic isn't a flawless movie a classicist movie with chinks in its armor that over the years get more and more visible and yeah i really like that that way of putting putting spider-man a classic with imperfections
1: fantastic you want fantastic. my final what is your last take for spider-man 2002 before we get into our favorite moments of the movie
0: this movie introduced uh, a concept that we've we've played with for you know two decades now not just in spider-man movies not just in comic book movies uh, in movies in general, whenever you deal with a hero that kind of has an alias, a hero that kind of lives two separate lives, and the final scene of this movie really hit it home for me and struck me on an emotional level that I wasn't expecting to because this is a movie I've seen so many times, but it had been a couple of years since I rewatched it. And that's the concept that in order for Spider-Man to win, Peter Parker has to lose. And as a sentence, that sounds like, okay, whatever, like the hero should win. But when you get two hours dedicated to the man behind the mask, the, the kid in school, the kid who just wants the girl, it's so tough to always see him sacrificing his personal life for his quote, his quote, unquote, professional life, his superhero life, you know, like he, he has a responsibility with great power comes great responsibility. And at, at the end of the day, This kind of is a synonym for that. In order for Spider-Man to win, Peter Parker has to lose. The same thing is, you know, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. If you're nothing without the suit, you shouldn't have it. All those things kind of merge together here. But at the end, when MJ gives him the kiss, and you know since the first scene, and this is all he's ever wanted, is to be with MJ. And he has the balls to just kind of walk away and go like, I can't because us being together puts you in danger it pulls me away from my greater responsibility in this world that's such a bold thing to do as that character knowing where he was at the beginning of this movie where he just wanted a win and now he finally has everything he ever wanted and he's willing to walk away from it like even though uh toby gives a kind of shaky performance I really, really appreciated that scene. And it struck me on an emotional level that I didn't expect it to. And it's only going to break my heart further when No Way Home comes along and Tom Holland is faced with any type of similar decision where he has to choose the betterment of the world over his personal life. And on the surface to anyone, it's like, well, yeah, duh. But when you see the personal life and all the struggles and hurdles he has to go through, it's tough. And this movie really laid the foundation for that idea that in order for the hero to win, the man has to lose. And we've seen that so much uh, throughout the MCU, throughout uh, kind of the Dark Knight trilogy. We, we, we've yeah. seen it throughout some of the X-Men movies. It, it's, a, it's a trope that will never be exhausted, in my opinion, because it hits every character differently. But Spider-Man, it hits it on such a, a core that I don't think can be replicated with any other character.
1: For sure. I think that that's an overall theme that we'll see throughout the rest of Spider-Man movies. I do have a little bit of a complaint of this Raimi franchise that I don't think Peter ever really loses too much. Um, You know, they have a scene in this movie where they're on the bridge and he has to choose between the trolley of people or MJ falling to her death. I didn't realize until this watch, that's the Gwen Stacy scene. Like that is like, like the way she's reaching up, the way he goes and grabs her, all these things. That's the Gwen Stacy scene. They used MJ instead, which is fine. It's the first, they didn't know they were going to make three of these, you know, it's 2002. They got to get it while you can get it right. They use that scene and it's such an emotional thing, but then he saves her. Oh, and by the way, he also saves the train full of people and, and the stakes never really hit for me, but at the very end, when MJ says it's always you, Peter, liar. Um, you know, it, she she gives him the opportunity to embrace that, and he doesn't. That's where he loses. You know what I mean? Like like for that brief moment, he loses emotionally. And despite Toby Maguire not being the best voiceover actor, he does give a great speech at the end. You know what I mean? It's it's a little flat, but he does give a great speech, and it really sets up Spider Man Two really well. I think that's why Spider Man Two is one of the best sequels ever made because it improves and capitalizes on all of the charm of Spider-Man and moves forward. And that is probably the pinnacle point of that. Those are our three big talking points for Spider-Man. Just going back, this movie is a classic. Liam thinks that it is dated, but I think that the classic and the dated thing kind of work hand in hand to make it a great movie um, for what it is. <laughs> um, uh, back to it, uh, the Green Goblin. Liam really likes how he embraces the campy. And the amazingness of it, I think that this movie kind of did what RDJ did for comic book characters, but for comic book movies, and then Liam loves that it sets up the Peter Parker has to lose um, for Spider-Man to win. It also sets up the trope of Spider-Man getting his ass kicked. (laughs) He just gets his ass, and I love that. I love that it's never an OP thing. I feel like the Tazman franchise kind of loses that a little bit. You know, obviously, you, you know, we have the limping into running into the swinging across the city scene in Tasman 1. But, you know, Andrew Garfield never gets his ass kicked the way that Tobey Maguire or Tom Holland gets their asses kicked. Liam, um, let's dive into some of our favorite moments. I talked about the big moments and why I think they're such a big part of this movie. But, is there any of them any of them you want to talk about on um, the Spidey scent scene, the suit design, which is my favorite scene of the whole movie. um, the wrestling debut, the upside down kiss, the final battle, the American flag, the big moments of this movie. Is there any of them that stand out particularly to you?
0: There's one that stands out that you didn't actually mention there, and I just appreciate the intricacies they layered into this. That's the Thanksgiving dinner scene when 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 Peter arrives and he's late. And Norman, it's running through his brain about, like, is that Spider-Man? What's going on? The blood drop falling, the him looking out. What really got me, though, is, um, and this isn't my own thought. I've seen this in articles before, but it was reminded of me in in its execution, was the the coloring of the attires, right? Harry is wearing a mixture of blue, red, and green, and it looks really odd because those colors should never be mixed in a suit. Like, who wears- and purple <laughs> and purple too. Yeah. What, what is going on there? But it the reasoning for that is because it's a mixture of goblin colors and Spider-Man colors. Norman Osborn is wearing blue and red Spider-Man colors while Peter is wearing green and purple goblin colors. And I just, I love that little, like they don't beat you over the head with it. And it's something that I, I didn't realize as a kid, it, it took, you know, not only rewatches, but just getting obsessed with this kind of culture to discover that online and then to just be reminded of it when that scene did come across, I was like, Whoa, that's, that's cool. That was particular. And that's like, this movie isn't full of like we watch an MCU movie. Oh my God. He said that name. And in the comics, they have a relationship with a mutant who eventually leads the X force, which is a spinoff of the X-Men. And like, we write an article on that. This is (laughs) like one of the only scenes in Spider-Man where we would be like, ah there was a layer to that there's there it's beyond the surface because this movie isn't peppered with easter eggs but that's a scene where the brain gets flowing and you realize like no like they're they're not approaching this as a kid's movie they're they're trying to have some artistic merit behind it and i really really appreciate that
1: i don't mean to be dismissive or mean but when i was a kid i never realized it once i realized that that was a thing i hated it (laughs) i think it's so dumb I think, oh, my God. Have you seen James? Like, did you look at James Franco during that dinner? He looks ridiculous. He does he look looks like a clown. Yeah. He looks ridiculous. And I don't think the, reason, the reasoning is good enough to put a handsome man like James Franco in that outfit. I also <laughs> always find it so funny that they hear a rumbling going up in Peter's room. And Aunt May, the, the woman who raised her, that raised Toby McGuire, she goes up to check to see if Peter's okay. Not just her, everyone. Storms <laughs> into the room with an urgency to make sure Peter's okay. For what reason? I don't know. Um, uh, I do want to shout out the Spidey lab scene at the beginning of the movie where the, um, the doctor is going through all the different spider abilities and the spider things. And, and she, she coins the term spider sense, you know, a premonition, a, almost, almost a, um, a, a futuristic instinct. So dope, always dope, still to this day awesome. It's got its 2002ness to it, where the camera pans up and says DNA match, and it shows the spider and all that stuff. But that that scene still holds up really well for me, and I really enjoy it. Um, despite the fact that when you see the teacher yelling at the kids, you realize he is at minimum ten years younger than everybody <laughs> else, and these kids are not eighteen, and that is a cosmetic problem with this movie, but. I'm not here to debate that. Um, Liam, what is your next favorite moment?
0: Uh, Speaking of opening scenes, I love the title sequence. It's so 2002. (laughs) It's so like, it looks like a PS2 graphic and like, They were so proud of the fact that this movie included spiders because like they they showed them (laughs) they 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 figured out how to work Adobe After Effects and they were just running crazy with it like like the PS2 graphic of like Spider-Man who's bending backwards and the webbing is going on and and uh, lettering pops up and then it crawls away like a spider. Get it? It's Spider-Man and we're going to talk about spiders a lot. I, I don't know. It it's the nostalgia for me. Like if this came out today, I'd be like, Are you kidding me? But like I look yeah. at that and I'm like, oh yeah, That's <laughs> like that's trying. that
1: 2002 stuff that you dressed the movie with. That's not that that's a studio thing, which is fine. That's how movies were back yeah. then. You know, that's how you do it. It's it just I I don't want to be too negative. Tony <laughs> McGuire's performance in that voiceover. Who am I? I bet you're wondering. This movie, just like every other movie, starts with a girl. That's the girl. My name's Peter here we go like no emotion no charm no charisma nothing um it it, but again he's the first one to do it he's the first voiceover superhero so
0: it's interesting
1: um i love all the horror elements you mentioned the montages earlier there's tons of horror elements in this sam raimi you know is a horror director he's a horror movie you know people like he's a legend in that space um and he definitely does a lot of that type of quality in this i think it adds a lot of unique stylistic tones to it and i really appreciate that sam Raimi made his movie unapologetically and i appreciate it
0: i love that yeah sam Raimi, evil dead i believe which is one of the most iconic horror movies of all time and we see a lot more of his horror elements in two um but this one definitely does play with this is a kid's movie like at the end of the day some of the execution I, i believe this was rated pg right no idea because I can look um, it up. The reason why I say PG is because 2002, same year, Attack of the Clones came out. Attack of the Clones was rated PG, and even though it has the same amount of like action as a PG 13 Star Wars movie would have, the rate, the ratings requirements were a little different back then.
1: PG 13.
0: Ah, wow. Probably because of the the final battle when he gets pretty bloodied up. But like, absolutely. I say kids movie because of the the guys turning into skeletons and falling down and oh haha like <laughs> what's going on there um but yeah ramy <laughs> Rami playing with some of his horror and tropes is the wrong word but horror execution of like uh, of shooting scenes uh was very much appreciated because it puts his own uh layer on it it puts his own uh style his stamp
1: for sure what's your next uh, favorite moment Ooh, uh we're going through the list looking what we got
0: here what we haven't touched on oh great one peter's uncle ben guilt oh, Ah, yeah, it kills me man it kills me because when he realizes when the robber steps out of the shadows and he recognizes that that particular haircut oh my god what, what was he thinking half it blonde, do, baby half blonde like but if we're gonna do frosted tips just the tips like not not half you don't know shit about the Backstreet Boys, bro.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, I didn't grow up with them, but my mom, my mom loved the New Kids on the Block. That that was her vibe.
1: They had a bunch of hits. Chinese food makes me sick. I think it's fly when girls stop by for the summer.
0: That uh, was that Backstreet.
1: No, but New Kids. It's a, it's a good, New Kids on the Block had a bunch of hits. Chinese food makes me sick.
0: Uh, it's a great song went right over my head my mom will be, will right be pissed at me but yeah nobody's gonna love that <laughs> peter's uncle ben guilt it just killed me from the second he realized that he could have stopped it and then the tears in his eyes i thought that that was one of the better acted scenes from toby as as cringy as some of his like emotional scenes can be in this trilogy as a whole like a lot of them get memed of, of him making a crying face it hurt man when he's like over uncle ben's body and realizing you know he the last thing he said to him was like stop pretending to be my father then it it hits on an emotional level and the fact that he has to confront Aunt May and and realize and go through every day knowing that he could have you know had that play out a little differently it's it's tough and it only adds to uh the sympathy I feel for him because at the end of the day like sure does he does he win a lot yeah Peter Parker does in this trilogy however he needed a big win so bad in this movie in particular after everything that happened earlier and to have that you know a fastball down the middle with Gwen with not Gwen Stacy excuse me Mary Jane and him having to just take a pitch and just like be like I, I can't I can't because it's going to lead to more problems um it hit so yeah the Peter Uncle Ben guilt's really really tugged on my heartstrings
1: Good. Yeah, those are the emotional beats. I think, I think they do hit the emotional beats when they do hit them. It's just unfortunate that the dialogue doesn't um, build around it sometimes, but the emotional beats do hit. I agree. Um, the cafeteria scene, the Flash-Thompson fight, the first time we get a look at Spidey's powers, I, I think I've said this before. If not, I'm saying it right now. Um, Avengers Infinity War, when Peter's hair sticks up on the bus and he turns around and sees a spaceship. I think that is the greatest visualization of a superpower ever. That's Spidey sense. And it's dope. This is a top five conversation. This whole scene. Yes. It's 2002. It's kind of cheap at times. It's, you know, a little campy, but man, it's iconic and it's awesome and it's cool. And it makes you think, you know, the scene where he catches everything on the lunch, lunch tray. Practical. Over 150 takes. And I think that's, a really cool thing, and it worked out. That's still one of the coolest shots in a comic book movie to this day, and will forever be. Because I mean, the catch of everything is still cool, obviously. But just the reaction from Kirsten Dunst is like, "Whoa, that was incredible!" And Peter's just like, "Yeah, yeah, it was." And then he threw it, and then he beats the shit out of Flash Thompson. You know what everybody's response is? Jeez, Parker, you freak! Yeah, we guys. The freak, the freak, and that I want to go back. He wasn't a loser. In everybody's eyes, he was a freak and all that stuff. And I'm like, come on, that's that's it's just it's dated. That's the dated part. But the cafeteria scene, all that, love it. And again, that's one of the scenes that I'm like, I'm eight years old again and I'm watching this for the third time on a Saturday and it's like the greatest thing ever. And he, he's going toe to toe with death stroke That's one thing a lot of people forget. <laughs> you know, a 45 year old man in high school is a scary thing. And people forget. Yeah. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> Casting it's
0: just the worst, very, very, very strange. Um, yeah, the also just the ridiculousness of him taking that fight, and it continues in the amazing Spider-Man uh one, I believe, when he has just a ridiculous leap when he dunks the basketball and he's like mm-hmm. 10 feet over the hoop when he does like a double backflip to avoid flash, like people being like oh what a weirdo creep like no you like call the cops or something because that's not normal no human being can just land a double like what um and then you know he like he's dodging and everything and then he just he he punches with like one like palm strike and sends flash thompson way back and hits the principal and the lunch falls on him and
1: ah flash that it's just it's so 2002 i love it i do i do love the moment during the slow motion punch where uh Toby Wire kind of avoids it and he's just kind of like, oh my god, look at this. Like in his face, he's like in real time being like, Holy shit, this is really awesome. Yeah. And that's the most emotion that Toby McGuire shows this entire movie. Uh <laughs> yeah, kind of. Kind of.
0: <laughs> uh, um, all right, do you do you have any more? I got I'm trying to think of one more because I do have a couple on here, but they can kind of blend into one. Oh, I mean, we barely mentioned it. Randy Savage's bone saw. Come on. Ready? ready? like ah it's great, great. i i can't Wonderful. believe i like i i re-watched this movie i don't know when the last time i watched it with a wrestling lens on but like i wasn't a wrestling fan when i first saw this so to go back and be like oh my god that's randy savage like one of the most accomplished wwe champions of all time in a spider-man movie was so sick i also just found it funny that um the the concept of like it's pro wrestling it's scripted but he's just beating the shit out of these local jobbers you know like (laughs) that's it um and i i love the execution too of the of the scene because it is ripped out straight out of the comic book yeah and Uh, from the costume the arguing of like no i'm the human spider like no the amazing spider-man and then the cage comes down and particularly the cage folds down as a cage should in pro wrestling nowadays they just lower it but this one like Folds in on the ring. Little things like that just, you know, make me happy. And uh, I love, you want to talk about people embracing the campiness. If there's anyone who understands how to embrace campiness, it's professional wrestlers. And Randy Savage showed up to play a pro wrestler to the 10th degree um, yeah. in this movie. And I loved it.
1: Yeah. Bone Souls Ready is something me, my brother, and my cousins have said to each other for a very long Bone Souls Ready. Um, and Obviously, you know, there's a very homophobic statement in this movie, and it's dated, and it's cringy, and it shouldn't have been in there, but it was. Uh, Greg Miller, of kind of funny, he has a really awesome joke that he always imagines the deleted scene of this movie where Spider-Man's like, hey, nice outfit. Did your boyfriend make it for you? And Randy Savage is just like, yeah, he did, and he put in a lot of effort. We <laughs> have a great life together. We're very much in love, so fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> And that's what I hope he said. You know what I mean. That's what I hope that the real reaction was. Um, uh, yeah, no, Randy Savage, Olds Randy again, eight years old. I'm right there. I'm right back to where I was, and I loved it. Um, what about the Macy Gray Day Parade, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen? Macy Gray, like it's so Sony, just putting in their artists. This is product placement at its finest. But I've always I. Not always. Ever since I realized what they were doing, I always thought that it was really funny. They couldn't say Macy's Day Parade. You know, obviously, you know, there's copyright issues and mm-hmm. we can't have Snoopy and all these things. But you know what the closest thing they could do? The Macy Gray Day Parade. and I thought that's pretty cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just, just wait till we get to uh, the first Amazing Spider-Man and Andrew Garfield's using Bing, and he's on his no. on his Sony tablet and
1: his his yeah. Sony laptop and oh and man, Philip Phillips and all of these <laughs> different things. <laughs> Fantastic stuff, Liam. Uh, do you have anything to close us out with?
0: Spider-Man two, uh, not Spider-Man two. I keep saying Spider-Man two because it's we now label it as Spider-Man two thousand two. Because that's yeah. just kind of how it happens. Like, we're not going to call it Spider-Man 1. That just feels odd. Spider-Man yeah, 2002, Spider-Man. as Matt put it, uh, you put it on a shirt, honestly. Uh, it's a classic with imperfections. And I, I really, really like that. It is dated, absolutely. Uh, but it did set us on a path to where we are now in 2021, where comic book movies have really reached their their full potential. And if they haven't reached their full potential, man, am I, am I excited for the future. So uh, this is... I'm glad that this one is now in the rear view because I think from here on out, even if the quality has peaks and valleys, the the execution is a lot less dated. It's a lot more
1: modern and it's going to be it's going to be a fun ride. Seven more to go. Absolutely. I can't wait to see all the things that the Ramiverse learns from this movie. We're going to see that hardcore in Spider-Man 2. I think they get a little overzealous in Spider-Man 3, a little spoilers on my end. But the dialogue does clean up a little bit, which is my biggest problem with this movie. So as much as I may have talked about the negatives, like I said, we're not going to shy away from the negatives because I think it's important to talk about to see the growth. And it's going to make the TASM 2 conversation even better. But um, this movie is always going to hold a special place in my heart. It's a movie, um, you know, gun to my head. I've probably watched this movie more than any other movie in my entire life other than X2, um, if I had to guess. Or uh, maybe Pearl Harbor. I've watched Pearl Harbor a fuck ton of great movie. Um, But uh, yeah, so thank you, Sam Raimi. Thank you for Spider-Man. It changed my life. And, um, you know, I grew up on the cartoons and this is exactly what I thought the cartoons would look like in live action as an eight-year-old. And looking back, watching it with a critical eye, watching it for this podcast, knowing I was going to review it just a few days later. Never had more fun watching it because I was able to embrace those few moments where I really... You know, it was taken back to t- 2002. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, we dive into what the internet claims is a masterpiece, what the internet claims is the greatest comic book movie of all time, Spider-Man 2. Cannot wait. We'll see you there.
0: That was a quick question. That was a sizzle reel. That was a retroactive review. And that's an episode, episode 57 of the Direct Podcast in your ears, on your podcast feeds. Thank you all so, so, so much for tuning in each and every week. As I said at the top, we're on the fast lane to Spider-Man No Way Home, seven weeks to go, and it's going to be a fun journey getting there because we've got a lot of more uh, Spider-Man movies to get through, a lot more news to get through, and hopefully some more trailer footage along the way. But until then, until next week when we hit Spider-Man 2, Matt and I have interests outside of the wacky, wonderful, wavy world of comic book movies and movie news. So, Matt, do you have a weekly recommendation for the people this week?
1: Yeah, man. Do what you love. Um, you know, we are so fortunate to have this podcast and uh, write um, for the direct and create content for the direct It's uh, one of my and Liam's favorite things um, that we do, I'm sure. Um, but it's not a full time job. We we contribute a lot and we are happy and thankful that we're able to do it and we love it. And we thank the direct and Brian and everybody involved for you know giving us what we do. But you know, I'm twenty-seven years old. I do have to have a full-time job outside of this to pay the bills. And um I'm currently in the middle of a job search and I am putting a priority to enjoy what I do. That's my mission in life, is to wake up every day, enjoy what I do. And, um, you know, I've had some opportunities lately that, you know, would be great for paying bills and doing this at the other, but I knew I wasn't going to be happy doing it. So my advice to everybody is while you can, before you have children, enjoy what you do, love what you do, because, you know, you're going to hit a point in your life where the priorities shift and it's going to be money over passion. And, um, if you can try to put passion over money, um, ahead of that, ahead of that time in your life, then I think you're going to set yourself up for a lot of happiness. And that is, uh, my recommendation for sure. I
0: love that i really do yeah. um and that's advice i'll probably bookmark this podcast and listen back to because i'll be at that crossroads in about what do we got uh in seven months oh geez i'm graduating Hey-o. very very soon oh my god adult life that's gonna be fun um yeah, but yeah true. i love that feeling of happiness and a, a show that's been bringing me that feeling a lot lately ted lasso <laughs> man oh man am i late Am I late to the train, the hype train that is Ted Lasso? And it took me a while because the concept I just I didn't see myself enjoying. You know, American football coach. Up, oh, he's a football coach. He's coaching a prem league soccer team. Is is it gonna work out? It sounds so silly as a two sentence synopsis, but man, in execution, is it just one of the best things I've ever watched? I I watch a lot of of Ted Lasso specifically on my phone because. I have like the Apple music college subscription, which apparently as of like two weeks ago, I just found out it comes free with Apple TV plus. So I was hunting down friends passwords for Apple TV for no reason whatsoever. I had an account this whole time. And because I have the app right on my phone, I've been watching it there. And you know, when your phone like turns black, if you accidentally turn it off and all of a sudden it becomes a mirror at you, Matt, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, There would be moments where Ted Lasso would end like hard stop, black credits roll. And I see my reflection. I'm just like smiling like a kid on Christmas back at my phone. (laughs) And that's just the feeling that Jason Sudeikis (laughs) brings to this show. He's got this just overjoyed optimism and charisma to him. And here I am, you know, six, seven episodes into season one having much more interest in a fictional prem league soccer team and one man's hopes not even for them to make the playoffs not even for them to to win a lot of games but to just win one like that's the 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 fact that this this show has me as invested as as i am is a miracle and i love ted lasso so i i hope you all We'll check it out. And while you're watching Ted Lasso, you're also finding something you love uh, love to do and, and making that your career because that's all we can ask for at the end of the day. Again, guys, thank you so, so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. You want a quick question in it, it's as simple as giving us a five-star review and dropping it in over on iTunes. We will see you next week with our Spider-Man 2 review, but also our review of Marvel Studios' latest installment Eternals, we'll see you then. You know I'm tired, every day. It's always take shots, go to the same spots on replay. Yeah, I need a fire. Do you feel the same? No one will chase us, they can replace us. What do you
1: say?
0: I know we're silly and we're just two kids But let me tell you something about the life we're we'll Tonight, you, you ever have like those themed drink nights at college? Love it. Um, tonight's uh, they call it Flip at this place called Fagans. Flip the coin. If you get it right, if you get heads or tails right. A dollar beer. Yep.
1: It's
0: great. Love nice it. little, nice huge little pumpkin, fan. Uh, pumpkin ale, a little cinnamon on there. I don't like the, sweet beer. Tis the season.
1: Yo, yeah, oh, no fuck. Dude, a, trust me, I'm a I'm a huge seasonal thing guy. Pumpkin yeah. beer is one thing I can't get behind. I'll do an Oktoberfest, though. Yeah, there we go. go. All right, ready?